Welcome to Fleet Safety Geeks. I'm Bob. And I'm Phil. And we welcome you to our podcast. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Fleet Safety Geeks. Phil, how are you? I'm doing well, Bob. I hope you're having a good week. Doing great. Um, we are here uh, starting our multi-part series on developing a fleet safety policy. Much anticipated uh, uh, podcast that Phil and I have been planning for a while. And we're very excited this is starting. Uh, we have some special guests on today who are going to help us kind of get started on developing that safety policy. We have Cliff Mendelson and Aaron Gilchrist. Cliff is an attorney with the law firm of Tucker Ellis LLP in Cleveland, Ohio. Cliff's practice is dedicated to defending fleets in motor vehicle accident litigation and consulting fleets with um, how to make their fleet policies um, more resistant to attack and criticism during litigation. Um, again, I think that we need that because of all of the nuclear uh, settlements that happen against fleets today. It's nice that we have someone defending us. Thanks, Cliff. Um, I think everybody knows Aaron. Aaron Gilchrist Rugg is the VP of Fleet Optimization, of Fleet Evangelism. Sorry about that. At IntelliShift, where she serves as the Fleet Management Subject Expert um, from 16 years as an Enterprise Fleet Manager. Aaron, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having both of us. It's great. Yeah, thanks nice to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, <clears throat> Phil, policy. Policy is important. I know that you've helped uh, write policy with a previous role that you've had. Um, uh, when I started, started at the role I'm in, uh, we had to write a policy and we just did a major rewrite. Um, so I think there's a lot of uh, intellectual knowledge on this podcast today to kind of help us get us started. What do you have to say about uh, policy, Phil? Well, Bob, I'm trying to think which uh, motivational speaker I once saw. It might have been uh, Zig Ziglar showing how old I am. And he said, you can't uh, score any uh, baskets if you don't have goals. And uh, and that's what it comes down to with a policy. I mean, you have to have those policies because there has to be accountability, right, for, for, the, for the people who are driving the vehicles. And if you don't have a policy, a comprehensive policy, and it needs to be, and we'll get into that, but it needs to be continuously, it needs to be a, a living document that's updated when that's it right. needs to be updated. But, uh, yeah, policy is vital. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, as I just said, you know, when I got to the company I'm with eight years ago, I wrote the policy. We just did a major rewrite that was uh, implemented December uh, 1st of last year. So it constantly needs to be updated, reviewed. Um, and as it starts getting successful and your numbers go down, you know, maybe it's time to tweak it and, and um, kind of really work on your drivers to get them even more um, accountable, if you will. Um, but a good policy is a framework for any organization to follow, right? If, if you're just sort of making it up as you go, you're not really getting anything done. Um, nobody is very consistently being treated the same. Um, they don't know what expectations um, are of them. Um, so it really helps to have something that everybody can follow. Um, if drivers don't have a clear understanding of what's expected, they're just not going to give you the best results. I, don't I think. love the word expectation, Bob, because they really want a structure. They want They want us to spell it out. Um, you know, I think people think policy and it's like, oh, no, this is something, one more thing we have to think about, one more thing we have to do. But if done right, you know, it should feel natural to them. And the drivers, like I said, the drivers that I've spent time with riding around as they're doing their job, they they have given me the feedback that they love um, structure. They love accountability because they just know what to expect and they can make the choices um, and understand the consequences when they don't 
um, when they don't adhere. So I think um, it's not a scary word. It's a good thing. And expectations are, um, when clear, are always, always beneficial. Mom, my 23rd year, how many times have I heard a driver say, just tell me what you want me to do? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think it's a really good point, Aaron, in that they, they, they want that structure. Now, not everybody's going to be happy with it. No. You know, uh, you know that there are some people who are going to disagree with it. But you know what I found is that the vast majority of them do agree with it. Yeah. And, they, and, and as you said, they want that structure because, you know what, they know what the rules are and they know what they need to do. Well, and I think when they can understand what's in it for them, you know, and it's not just about what's in it for the organization. It's what are what are we hoping that they'll get out of it? And they should feel if written well and communicated right, they should feel like what we're doing is all designed to keep them safe so they can get home in better condition than they started their work day in every single day and get back to the things that mean the most to them, like their families or their hobbies or whatever it is they do. And they have to know that that's the reason and the organization has to get behind the fleet manager or the risk manager who is ever implementing these policies, get behind them and say, you know, we want to keep you safe. And that's the messaging, you know, I, in my opinion. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. Communication, communication, yeah. communication. Absolutely. And, and that's on all levels. Yeah. Yeah. So the last point I wanted to bring up, you know, we want our drivers to be safe and understand policy. Um, if they can't follow the policy, there has to be corrective action, right? We need to be able to change the behavior through corrective action. Um, but those, those guidelines need to be consistent. Right. Yeah. Again, you can't make up uh, corrective action as you go. It has to be understood um, and, and everybody needs to know what's going to happen if you don't follow the policy. Right. Um, Phil, yeah. you had an example. Oh, go ahead. Cliff. I was just I was just going to add. Sorry to interrupt. There. I was just going to add, um, you know, from from the litigation perspective, uh, the only thing worse than not having a policy is not following it and doing uh, what is said in the policy. Uh, that is something that will certainly be attacked um, if there is uh, a lawsuit that arises from a motor vehicle accident. So the importance of adhering to the policy and making sure the policy is written in such a way that uh, it, it is easy for everyone to follow and adhere to it and, and do what, is, what, it, what, what the uh, policy calls for is really important. Yeah, agreed. 100%. Excellent point. Great to have an attorney on to give that, that kind of uh, uh, feedback and, and point of view. Because um, that's one thing that we don't always think about until we're in litigation. <laughs> and that's so too late, you. Bob. It's at that point, right? Um, we haven't done something that's right true. if we're trying to look back and say, what did we say we were doing? Um, that's that's right. the worst position to be in. So, Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Hey, Phil. Um, You've done a lot of uh, uh, new hire training, and I know that you've done it um, uh, with my company. Um, what if you had a story about uh, the president of the company I'm with uh, coming to the training? What, what was that? So this, I just love this story because uh, it, it really does show a dedication to uh, adhering to policy top down. Uh, so I uh, received a call from your uh, company, Bob, uh, the Environmental Health and Safety Manager, called me and asked me what I was doing on a certain day. And I looked at the schedule. I said, well, I guess I'm coming out to see you because you have a class that day. He said, yeah, let me tell you what happened. 
So the CEO of the company had actually had a meeting with his senior staff. The H&S manager was in that meeting. And he said, listen, the policy is you get a violation, you have to go through the driver training. On the way home that night, he got a speeding ticket. <laughs> guess who showed up at the class? And what was really cool about that, you know, so got in there, set up the class, some of the students were coming in, greeting them, and here and walks the CEO. And everybody did like the <laughs> double take, you know, like, what are you doing here? And he said, you have to go through it, I have to go through it. And he was a fantastic student, by the way. I did the driving with him and everything, uh, was not scared. Uh, so, you know, it was, uh, it was really just a, a cool moment and it just shows, you know, top down dedication to that policy. And that is exactly what Cliff was talking about is that, you know, it has to be adhered to. Um, you know, once you have that in place, you better be ready to go. And, and certainly uh, your organization, Bob, that's there you go. So yeah, refreshing yeah, exactly. to hear. That's such a great story because I was recently um, talking to some folks within my organization about driver safety policy and such and helping our clients. And this idea of top-down, um, you know, support for this type of program, it's more important than anything. I mean, you can have top-down support on, on, on fuel policy, on a maintenance policy, but if, if we're talking about safety policy, that is the most critical thing. If you can get them to buy in on that, that sets the stage for everything else you're going to do as a fleet leader within your fleet. Um, it's kind of like this idea of, you know, and I, I think we talk about this at some point, is this framework um, for the organization, not just framework for the policy, but but building a framework for when you have to roll something new out, um, something that is consistent and repeatable and starts with this team of people around you. And I know, Bob, we've talked about, you know, who, who should be in the room, you know, who are those key players, but getting those key players around you as a fleet leader and influencing them that what you're doing is mission critical, um, what happens, what, what can happen if there's not a good driver safety policy um, and show those examples, you know, um, spend time talking um, about stories like Phil's and stories from other fleet leaders and things you've learned in your experience to say, here are the things that can happen when we don't have a, a solid safety policy. And then let's not do this out of fear. Let's do it out of this is the right thing to do for all the reasons that we've already talked about and that we will talk about on this podcast. But I think the critical thing is if you can build that right team around you, they're going to help you drive those policies and convince the C-suite that, hey, look, I've got this team around me. We're all on board. There's nothing at that point that the C-suite can do but get on board and say, okay, well, thanks for doing all this work. Thanks for um, getting all the right people in the room. And then that C-suite, whether that's the COO or CFO or CEO, should be all of them, should be giving the, the communication or video messaging out to the organization to say, Here, we've launched um, the new safety policy or we've rewritten the new safety policy. Here's what we're talking about. This is mission critical for organization. And by the way, we're going to do all the things necessary um, 
And we're not going to treat ourselves any different than our driver population out there who are the bread and butter of our, our service organization, for example, right? So I, I think once you do that once and it works, then think about all the other things you want to implement in your fleet can just continue to use that same team for fuel management and sustainability and maintenance management and all the new things, new tech stacks that you're trying to implement. But getting it right for safety is just, you know, it's just the foundation, um, I think, for every fleet manager to accomplish anything is get it right with safety and you can get it right with everything else. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. That's, yeah, that's an excellent point. And that's exactly what we did at the company I'm with now. Um, we developed a fleet safety committee, sea levels, operations management, HR, risk, legal, fleet, everybody. We all got together. We all got into a room. We all looked at a lot of different things. We stole policy from here, here. We told the stories, but everybody was involved from the beginning. We didn't have a meeting until everybody was in the room. And, you know, as hard as it is to find calendar time with everybody, you know, we had to do that because everybody had to contribute and give that level of uh, uh, input. We developed the safety policy. We got it out. It was actually the entire fleet policy, safety policy. So it was just a portion of it, but it was the fleet safety committee meeting. Um, once we were done, we just turned it into the fleet steering committee meeting, right? So it, it stayed there as, as the resources that I could bounce off of, you know, to let them know, you know, here's, here's how we did annual uh, year end numbers. Um, here's what's going to happen next year. Here's what's going on because of supply chain shortages. Everybody knows and we can all get together and, and get this going on. So that's a really, really good point. Um, in your experience, Aaron, have you developed something like that? Have you, how, how does somebody who's never had that approach a C-level person and say, hey, I need you in a meeting with me and all these other people? What, what's the best way to get that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like it seems daunting at first, but I think the biggest thing that a fleet manager has to do to prepare for something like that is have numbers, right? Have data, have information. I mean, there's so many great resources out there. I mean, Phil, an awesome resource to be able to pull together that storyline, um, that opening communication, um, some ROI data um, about, you know, the, the what ifs and what can be um, for your fleet if you do not have a solid policy. And then obviously some anecdotes from someone like, you know, Cliff would be awesome. So have those things built and ready before you go to the C-suite and say, or, or this steering, this greater steering committee, like you said, Bob, HR, risk, legal, everyone, ops, and, and say, okay, here's what we want to do. Here's why we need to do it and have your ducks in a row so that there's that data and information that's convincing so that it makes your job as an influencer a little easier, right? Ducks in a row. And, and, and I, I, I agree with that. And one point I would add and, and to keep in mind uh, is those communications that you have regarding safety will, again, if there's litigation, I'm always kind of, you know, the lawyers are always looking at this from the from the negative perspective. I apologize. I'm not this much of a negative person. But um, if there's a lawsuit, um, the plaintiffs will ask for communications regarding policy and internal communications regarding the development of the policy and the implementation of the policy. So I agree with Aaron. It's really important. Gather the data, gather the information, gather the numbers. Uh, those uh, those discussions sometimes are better had um, in meetings um, as opposed to 
um, you know, letters and emails and, and those sorts of, of communications. Um, it's better to discuss that information and that data um, rather than, you know, creating paper trails because you have to evaluate that data. It's just so easy for plaintiffs to take those communications out of context, to try to, you know, make it into everything's a money decision by the, by the corporate defendant. So, um, you know, just be mindful of um, that component to it um, in, in what you say and, and what you put in writing. I saw a, um, um, I saw an attorney had a little sign in their office once and it said, you know, said, dance as if no one is watching, type emails as if it will appear in a deposition. <laughs> so it's just one of those, one of those, those lessons to keep in mind um, that when you have those conversations, um, it's sometimes better to do in a, in a meeting. Well, and you context. know, that's, those are excellent points, Bob. And you mentioned, or Phil and you, or Cliff actually, and you mentioned Bob that you, did those exact things, right? You guys meet in person. But I think that when you're trying to frame this up, again, I'll go back to um, show you care, right? It's all about your intentions. And it's not like, hey, it's because we had this fatality or because we have too many accidents. It, it is more about to avoid and, and potentially eliminate um, accidents with high severity or accidents altogether so that we can keep our drivers safe. This is why we're doing this and always do it from the angle of people. And I think that, that whether you're talking to your insurance broker and trying to reduce, you know, your claim, your, um, you know, uh, cash outlay, if you're, if, yeah, your premiums or your, you know, deductible, if you're self-insured, whatever you're trying to do, it's super important to always go, um, from the heart, because we as fleet leaders, and I know everybody on this call really does care about our drivers and their safety. And it's not just about your brand or the bottom line. Those are all, you know, collateral damage when we get in big accidents. It's the driver, um, his safety and getting home to his family. That's the most important thing. So, you know, I, I get what Cliff's saying, but I also know how important it is that if you frame it up around um, the care for the driver. I mean, I think you can't go wrong there, you know? I, and, and I agree completely. And we'll talk in, and I'll talk in more detail later on about the importance of building a, a safety story for the fleet that you can have ready to go when defending a lawsuit. And so much of it is the ability to humanize the, the uh, corporate defendant uh, to show that, um, the company is made up of people who care uh, about each other. They care about the communities in which they work, in which they operate. Uh, and so um, I think that's, a, that's an excellent way to describe is what the point I was trying to make is when you are, um, when you are crafting these communications, it's important to have that sort of message and come uh, from, that, from that angle, from that direction, that this is about safety of our drivers, it's about safety of our communities, uh, and, and having that sort of message internally uh, will make it easier for the company, if they are at some point uh, in a lawsuit and defending a lawsuit, to be able to explain to a jury, this is where we're coming from. Um, this is why we're doing what we're doing. You know, the why behind the policy is really important. 
Uh, so yeah, I think, and that's I think an that point. culture of safety, you know, that's not sort of like a buzzword anymore. It is a real vision, a real mission for organizations. And when you can show that you have consistency across all programs and policies centered on safety, centered on people, that's that's got to be helpful um, as well to really have that culture. And and I'm sure that that goes a long way in the courtroom too, um, you know, to, to, to have it be consistent and real, you know. Yeah, and, and, and I remember a number of years ago, I did a presentation called The Forgotten Side of Safety. And there are organizations, many, they maybe have manufacturing and there's a lot of uh, manufacturing safety, slip trip ball, hard toe shoes, you know, helmets and all that. But there are a number of organizations that don't give consideration to probably their, their most, the greatest exposure as far as safety are the people who drive their vehicles yeah. or drive for their organizations. And, and that's another good point in when trying to put policy forward is that, listen, you're taking care of those folks, but what about these people who are in a very dangerous situation every time they get behind the wheel? I remember doing a, a, working with a company that was a mining company and they determined they were, they were a copper mine. They determined that it was much more dangerous for their employees to drive to the mine than what it was to work in the mine. So that's, I think, a very good point in that saying, hey, let's not forget about the people who are driving the vehicles. And that's, I think, how you can utilize that to bring forward your uh, your safety. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's great. I, I love that. So we're getting a lot of... Uh, um, Good points here. And anybody that's tuning into this podcast and saying, when are they going to talk about writing this policy? We're not there yet. This is really just getting started. There's a lot we need to do. Cliff is going to talk more about, you know, developing a safety story. You need to develop. And as Aaron was talking about, you've got to talk about things, you know, in the background, um, put an ROI together, put the stories together, put everything together so that you know what you're going to try and reach. You can't just like take somebody's policy and say, oh, I, I took this policy from company A and now I'm just gonna implement it. It has to work for your organization. It has to work for what's gonna happen. And having these conversations are really important. You know, Aaron, I asked you about um, how do you approach a C-level person? You said it can be very daunting. And I gotta tell you, you know, it was for me as well. You know, I was new to a company and I'm gonna go up to the, the president and CEO and say, hey, can you be on this uh, uh, meeting with me and everybody else? Yeah, it's very daunting. It's very, you know, um, you know that can be, um, you know, kind of uh, frightening, you know, for some people, especially new to an organization. But I got to tell you, you know, um, safety happens to be a core value of the company I work for. So that made it a little bit easier. But, you know, it turns out that this person was just another person. He does care about the employees and did want to make sure people were safe. And I think that that was very helpful. But the more we started meeting and the more we got into it, everybody was engaged. And we are getting so much done and it's so worth it. So if you have not developed some sort of um, stakeholder meeting where you're going to get together and, and start working on this, I, I just recommend that's where you start. Um, and then once you do that and you start getting through it, you're, you're going to need to um, have a portion of your policy that deals with people who aren't your employees yet. Now, that's going to sound pretty weird, but um, if you develop a great safety policy, for your employees who are already there, you're hopefully going to have great safe drivers. But what about the, the person that you're recruiting or that you've hired on who 
has a bad driving record. Phil, I think you said this once to me before, but if you hire a bad driver, you're going to get a bad driver. Exactly. Why hire a problem? Yeah, right. You yeah. have a problem you have to deal with. Fairly simple to me, but yeah, yeah. they do. Oh, well, they're going to be a great salesperson. Really? You know, it's <laughs> the same as yeah. the risk you put yourself at when you identify behaviors with the driver and then you address the driver and the behaviors don't improve and the policy that you spend so much time writing, you let it fail you because you've kept that driver on because, wow, you, they, they're your most productive, you know, technician at whatever they, you know, do at their vocational work. I've seen it happen. Um, and I'm, I'm sure we all have. And that, that you know, that is worse um, I realize, but then bringing on a new hire um, and not properly training them um, or knowing they have issues because you've run an MVR or some sort of background check and still bringing them on because you're desperate in this environment of really needing workers. Um, right. You're asking for, you're asking for a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it goes back to this point where, you know, if you don't follow your policy, you're, you're going to lose in court. <laughs> But um, Cliff, you're also going to tell us, you, you talked about developing a safety story. We're talking about background checks. We need to run back good background checks. Um, the company I work with, um, everybody from HR, and right now, everybody's either quitting or hiring or we're growing, and there's tons of new hires coming. Every five minutes, I get an email from, M from HR. Can you grade this MBR for me and tell me if they're a good hire? Listen, I have other things to do than just look at MBRs and tell you if this person should be hired. So I actually developed like a little scoring system. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, but, um, you know, uh, part of it's the negligent entrustment. What if you hire somebody where you know they have a DUI? And it's like, but Aaron, you mentioned it's a really tough environment. We need to get people on board. Let's bring them on anyway. I think there's something called negligent entrustment you're going to talk about a little bit uh, here, Cliff. But, but we developed something where I was able to create a matrix and then just send it back to HR. And now the HR people during the background checks can look at it and say, oh, they had a minor infraction in the past three years, you know, and then it continues on. It's like a, a decision tree where they just continue moving forward. At some point it either says, yes, they're a good hire or yes, but it needs senior management approval to let them know they're gonna start at a high risk or medium risk driver um, or no, absolutely, we cannot bring this aboard. And it makes it so much easier. It's in black and white. It's 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 actually a standard operating procedure because making a policy would have been very difficult. Um, but I'm sure that they're also looking for some leeway there. But I got to tell you, it's working. The MBR, the HR people who look at the MBRs love it. And, and they are able to make that decision without having any kind of gray area or different HRs with different business units making different decisions. So... Um, Cliff, you talked about a safety story. What, what do we, what, what, what do you got there? What, what are you going to do as far as a safety story? So you, you've mentioned, Bob, the, the nuclear verdicts that have, that we've been seeing more of in, in the, um, uh, in the legal, um, realm. And, um, I have done presentations on that. That's like, you know, that's easily an hour presentation mm -hmm. in and of itself as to how and why those, those verdicts happen. But one of the main reasons um, there was uh, a couple of recent studies um, have shown one of the main reasons is plaintiffs are really good at telling stories. Um, at the end of the day, trials are about who tells a better story. 
um, you know, who is able to move the jury with the story. Uh, and plaintiffs, uh, particularly in personal injury litigation, are often in a, you know, a very good position of being able to tell a sympathetic story about uh, an individual who has been injured and how their life has changed. Um, and what happens oftentimes in, in lawsuits is the defendant is forced uh, to uh, defend, you know, the accident and how it happened, and it becomes a very technical defense. Um, and and what, uh, what companies are realizing and, and what, uh, you know, attorneys who represent defendants are realizing is you have to do a better job of telling the defense story. Uh, as I said before, companies and, 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 you know, the clients I've worked with and, and the companies that, that I've worked with, they're made up of dozens upon dozens of people who truly care about safety, who are working towards safety every day, day in, day out. That's what they're doing. And it's really important for a company when defending a motor vehicle accident lawsuit to be able to tell that story, to be able to show what the company does day in, day out, the people who are doing this work day in, day out. So a jury can understand, you know, an accident did happen, but a jury can understand all the steps the company does on a daily basis to not only keep their drivers safe, but to keep, you know, others on the road safe. Um, and it's really important to um, to personalize the company and to develop this story. So, you know, as Bob was talking earlier, you know, they've put together a um, a safety committee. Uh, I'm not sure if that was the exact term, Bob, but you have the people there. It's really important to be able to identify the people in your company who can help you tell that story in front of a jury, who can help tell a, a jury all the things the company is doing from hiring the driver to training the driver to supervising the driver to disciplining the driver if necessary at all steps along the way to be able to explain everything that the company's doing day in day out so it's much harder for the plaintiff to try to um, distort and paint the picture that this is a company that doesn't care um, and so gathering the right people gathering the right documents gathering all of that information that can help you tell the story and 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 hiring obviously is one uh, really important aspect of that. What is the company doing to vet drivers and how is what the company is doing? How is that reasonable? Um, why does it make sense? Why, you know, Bob, that matrix you set up, um, that helps show that you are being reasonable um, in your hiring practices, that you have thought about these issues um, and you've given tools for other people in the organization to implement what you would you know like them to do and that helps the company hire well-qualified individuals so you want to be able to tell that sort of story at every step uh, along the way when it comes to uh, driver safety um, and it's really important to, to to do it with the right people having people who can who are good at telling that story is 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 important having the documents to back up the story so it's not just you know joe smith coming in here and telling you how great the company is but there's documents to that you can show a jury to support and show all the steps that are taken so that's what we're talking about from a safety story it's really important to be able to for a company to put that that sort of story that's together awesome points cliff i, I would yeah, add I, that and i know this is a controversial topic but at the end of the day 
if you don't have tools and technology that can help exonerate your drivers, um, you know, I, in my opinion, as a fleet leader for so many years, you're missing the boat. I can't tell you how many times, you know, with the fleet that I was managing, you know, this, this moving billboard um, for this big company with lots of success, um, we were targeted. And I remember a time when we had a driver, um, someone called in and said that we had a near miss with a driver who was in a school zone speeding. Well, I could prove that we didn't even have a vehicle in a 10 mile radius of that school zone during that time on that day. I mean, so technology can be our friend. And I know, you know, from a legal perspective, there are ups and downsides to having AI video dash cams. But I think the thing that I'd like to point out about the tech is the tech builds um, positive driver behavior. We've seen it. Um, we've seen it for years in fleets, and we've seen it be hugely successful in reducing accidents and risk. And the big thing um, that I've seen in my career is reducing accident severity. So when we do get in an accident, it's not something that is, um, you know, causing catastrophe or fatality. Um, so, you know, I think that we could talk about tech for a long time. But generally speaking, what I've seen in my um, experience is that tech forms good habits and it helps drivers develop good driving habits when maybe they're someone who's prone to um, speed or hard corner or harsh break. Um, those are indicative of other things, right? Um, risky behavior, they're indicative of people who take risks in their life. They're also indicative of um, distraction. So whether you have telematics or AI video cams or both, um, advanced driver assistance systems of some sort um, really save lives. And so I'll, I'll get off my soapbox on that, but I've seen it um, work in my career um, more to the positive, um, not just financially for the organization, but certainly that was there, but certainly for, um, drivers driving more safely and only having a small subset of drivers who couldn't get on the program and then they were gone right yeah yeah cliff you gonna say something i was yeah i was just gonna add the the technology in the in the telematics um you know aaron you kind of raised the the point it is a bit of a double-edged sword from a legal perspective um, I have seen telematics programs work uh, amazingly well over time in changing driver behavior and, and improving um, uh, the, the performance uh, of drivers. Uh, the one comment I would make from, from a legal perspective is when that telematics program is implemented, it is so important to have the necessary personnel and support because the amount of data that is generated and that can be taken out of context uh, in a lawsuit um, is tremendous. Um, and so it's really important to have the right people um, and have that technology supported so that that data can be used um, effectively and people can stay on top of the data. And when the data is showing something with respect to driver safety that the company can follow up and do the supervision and the additional training and the, and any discipline that is indicated 
um, by the by the data. Because uh, if you don't have that support system in place, you're just generating a whole bunch of data that can and likely will be taken out of context um, in a lawsuit. So it's really important. Again, it's similar to the policy. Once you have the policy written, you have to enforce it. Once you have the technology, you have to have the um, the necessary support structure to actually follow and keep track of and, and that and is on the most the information. I love that point because yes, if you know data is our, our best friend or our worst enemy, um, and everything's discoverable. And and Cliff, you said something really really important. It's about whatever you do. It's got to be part of the policy, right? So if you have tools and technology, they're part of the policy how you're handling data, how you're handling reporting and analytics. What do you do when you find a driver that's out of scope? All those things should be built into the policy and have that top-down support so that everybody's on board that when things happen or when we have near misses, that we're addressing near misses like we're addressing accidents. It's just so, I, I, lo- I agree 100% with the points you made. I think you can't in this day and age operate a fleet um, completely safely considering distraction and all the things going on without some kind of tool and technology. But again, it is all about what you do with the data and the information that you get from it that will make or break you. So those are, those are excellent points. What we often tell our clients as well is, is to be clear up front as far as, explaining why you are using a particular technology. So uh, for example, I'll, I'll go back to telematics. Uh, we've had companies say, look, we're, we're implementing telematics. Um, it's not a perfect system. We're not comfortable making uh, discipline and firing decisions off of this new technology that you know sometimes it's reporting speeding and the driver's saying they were on an access road they weren't or they were on the highway, not on the access road, and it had them on the access road, and there's a speeding incident, and this, that, or the other. So we've had companies say, right now, as we're just adopting it, we're using it for training purposes. We are using this for education purposes. We're not using it for qualification of drivers, for firing drivers, and of course, in egregious circumstances, but we are using it primarily to figure out who needs additional training. Um, And having that communication upfront as to why they're using it makes it much easier, at least from my, in, in my context, in uh, defending um, that policy and the use of that data and what the company did or didn't do with that data uh, when there's an explanation as to how and why the, the company is using uh, the data. So that that's, I, I think, an important point as well. Yeah, I think you're both saying that, you know, you need to have things in yeah. place before you go there. It's, it's, I always make the comparison between, you know, like running MVRs, whatever you know, records. I've said that a million times. It's, it's worse to know and not do something that is not to know. Not running motor vehicle records is <laughs> a terrible thing, but running them, finding out you have problems and not doing something about it, it's worse. And Cliff, you know that, that everything gets discovered. Uh, as I Cliff, certainly don't have your experience in court, but I reconstruct crashes. I've had to go to court a number of times for you know crashes I've investigated. And I, the, the joke I make is I said they'll find out. They're going to look. They'll say, "Hey, look, we have his kindergarten records here. He did not play well with others. 
and he's driving their car. And, 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 and that's an exaggeration, but not much. You know, it's, so you have to be prepared. And Aaron, you're exactly right. The policy and then the people in place to take yeah. care of those things. If you're going to use technology too, and Aaron, you said it, you know, make sure that that technology and how you're going to manage it is in your safety policy. It needs to be there because, um, again, discoverable, you need to do it. But you also need to make sure that that framework is there so you know what you're doing. And we keep talking about telematics, but I think we've talked about um, dash cams um, and how you manage dash cams. Um, I've had drivers um, have something reported and they came back and said, well, here's my dash cam that proves I didn't do that. And I said, why do you have a dash cam? <laughs> it's like, well, because it was cheap and it's going to help me in case somebody hits me and, and I can prove it was their fault. I said, it can also be used against us if it proves that you are at fault. So we can't just have people putting technology in the vehicles that's against the company policy. We need to make sure that if there's going to be something out there, it's researched, it's understood, it goes to the fleet steering or safety committee, and everybody understands how it's going to be used, and then policy is developed behind it. Um, if you're going to have dash cams, have policy, and then put it out there and tell people how to use it. If you have drivers that you know have dash cams, tell them to take it out until you have policy. Um, I think that's just really important. It's just another piece of technology that just keeps getting developed that, that doesn't cost much, and people think it's going to save their, their Good points. So, um, you know, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Cliff, you know, I, I mentioned it earlier, and I'm hoping you can kind of, you know, talk about it a little bit more, but you know, negligent entrustment. You've told us how to develop a safety story and, and putting all that stuff together. But um, what if we do hire somebody that we're aware that they did something wrong in the past? You know, is there any kind of liability if that similar incident happens again? That's a good question. Um, so negligent entrustment can take a number of, of different forms. I, I kind of group all of those claims uh, under the umbrella of negligent entrustment, but there's negligent hiring claims, there's negligent supervision claims, there's negligent training claims, and they all kind of go together. Um, from like the hiring perspective, for example, um, and, and, and I should step back and say, um, the standard of care that a defendant is held to um, in pretty much every state in a negligence case is reasonableness. Did the defendant act reasonable? Did they act in the way that a reasonable person in his or her, its position would have acted under similar circumstances? A defendant does not have to be perfect. Now plaintiffs take and have a number of, um, a number of tools they use and strategies they use to try to paint the picture that uh, a defendant should have been perfect, that a fleet should have been perfect um, and they do that for obvious, a number of obvious reasons. Um, and there are many plaintiff lawyers who are excellent at doing that um, and, and kind of imposing this, um, uh, this inaccurate burden on the defendant and on the fleet in a lawsuit. But the actual law in most states is that the, the defendant company had to have acted reasonably um, in, its, in its practices. So... Um, obviously there are going, you know, nobody is perfect. Companies are going to be hiring drivers. You do your MVR and you see sometimes that there is a history. Um, there is, there are prior accidents, there are prior citations. Um, the, the companies and the fleets 
what the fleet has to do is demonstrate that it acted reasonably in its hiring decision of that person. So having policy in place, having a matrix, having a decision tree, having uh, something in place that can be used by the company to make those hiring decisions uh, goes a very, very long way to uh, being able to demonstrate that the company acted reasonably. People can probably can and will disagree uh, on some of the details on some of those decision tree processes or, or what have you. But if you can show the how and the why of what you did in the hiring practice, and it wasn't simply ad hoc and you know, depending on whose desk the decision fell on and it wasn't arbitrary and the hiring decisions haven't been inconsistent over time, then you've demonstrated reasonableness. And that is that is our goal when we talk about developing a safety story is if you can do that at each step along the way, at hiring, training, supervision, uh, discipline, if you can be able to explain at each step what you do, why you do it, how you do it, then you go a long way to just being able to show a jury and tell that story. We are reasonable. Um, we are safe. Um, this is what we do. So that's that's kind of how it, I guess, how that safety story um, fits in the hiring um, component. That's interesting. So, so I've always operated because people have told me if you know somebody has a DUI, don't ever hire them because you're in trouble. It's not that's not necessarily the case though. So if you're taking reasonable no. action to look at something and put some sort of guideline behind it, then you're probably reasonable and doing the right thing. So if somebody had a DUI yesterday, you probably don't want to hire that person. But if somebody had a DUI seven years ago, and your reasonableness test is has there been a major infraction in the last three years? At least you're showing the reasonableness, and it's okay, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's you know the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Ultimately, a jury will make that decision uh, in in the litigation context. But you being able to explain, uh, you know why you still hired that person. The DUI was seven years ago. They've had a clean record since then. And maybe even be able to explain the person went, you know, to um, special training after that DUI, or they went through a program. You've had the discussion with them um, about the importance of it and what happens if there's any further infraction, just whatever the policies are, then, then yeah. I mean, otherwise, um, you know, there's, a ton of people who are never going to be able to be hired. You know, same thing with citations um, uh, and prior accidents. So it's it's just a matter of being able to explain uh, and show that it was thought through. It wasn't arbitrary. Um, safety was in mind. Um, like like you said, if that DUI was last week, that's probably not a good hiring decision. If it was seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, um, you know, and you can show what you've done to uh, address that issue with them, and um, then then it's an easier explanation. Again, at the end of the day, in the in the litigation context, the jury's going to ultimately make that decision. You want to arm them with as much information as you can as to why your action was reasonable. Yeah, it makes sense. Not to scare anybody, but you know you could get taken to court and have juries actually reviewing your policies. That's kind of why we're talking about it from this level. Okay. So. It's really important that, that you look at some of these things, and, and it's really great to have, you know, you on, Cliff. I really appreciate that, and Aaron, to have your, your perspective on this, too. 
uh, with your experience. So I think it's really important that people know. Yeah, that I mean, it's like you talked about having legal in the room. I mean, on your on your right. steering committee, Bob. I mean, it's just really important they have that perspective that that we don't have, just like HR does, and the risk um, or EHS team has. I mean, fleet managers, we, we we can do a lot. We know a lot. We have a lot of experience, but we aren't experts in all of these areas. But sometimes we're forced to wear all these hats. And if you, again, just surround yourself with all those SMEs who can help you think of all the things that you wouldn't have thought of. And those are all the things that Cliff mentioned seem scary, but super important. And if you develop the right kind of policy, then you're, you're going to be able to avoid a lot of these things or help yourself when you're in a situation um, where you happen to have to go to court. So, yeah, it's just it's so important. Wait, Aaron, are you trying to say that a fleet manager is not a financial analyst, a vehicle engineer, an HR specialist, um, and a legal representative I am, I'm looking at you guys, and we do this all the time. And and I just, I, I love talking to, to okay. as many fleet managers as possible, always saying like, hey, you're not alone in this. Just surround yourself with the right people. And Bob, it seems like that's been really successful for you, and it's been successful for me in the past, too. People I do treat that. Uh, I worked for a uh, pharmaceutical for a number of years, and uh, I, <laughs> you, I had legal and HR on speed dial. They, they knew me, I knew them. You know, um, dealing with about 3,000 drivers, and um, well, they can do some things. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll, um, you have to partner with the, with the people within the organization. Yeah, and and sometimes it's impossible to make everyone happy. I'm sure, as you guys know, I mean, sometimes the legal considerations and the HR considerations uh, and the and the fleet consideration they 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 can't all be perfectly achieved. Um, and it's just a matter of of talking it through um, and balancing all of those considerations and coming up with something that makes the most sense. And a lot of times it's, Aaron said it, it can be frightening or daunting, but a lot of it is also sometimes just common sense. Um, You know, can you explain yourself if you, and your policies, if if you have to, Um, and just being prepared to do that is, is, is helpful and important. Yeah. So, okay. So great. We've talked about um, developing, um, uh, a fleet safety committee or steering committee with all the different stakeholders that can assist. We've talked about developing a safety story, talked about negligent entrustment. So the next step before we end this podcast, you know, as an introduction to developing a safety policy is, you know, once you finish the background check and you've identified the person and they're eligible to get hired, you're probably your next logical step is to do some sort of training for that, that, that new hire, you know, you need to make sure that, that, Again, it's setting the expectations. You train them to what the expectations of the company are. Maybe do some behind the wheel, certainly some um, in classroom or at least online. Something to let them know that here's some of the expectations that we're going to have. Here's the tools to help you get there. Um, Phil, you've got a lot of experience on new hire training. Why don't you give the 30,000-foot level or lower if you want? Yeah. So why not do it even before they get the keys? Right. So the policy I had in place was, you know, before you get the keys, you have to read the policy, take a test on the policy, sign off on the policy. 
then you have to take safety training. And, you know, and, and what it did is, is it got everybody reading off the same page. Right. And that was, again, before they got the keys. And you know what it did also? We, Aaron, I think you mentioned, you got to create that culture, right? Right up front, they knew this is very, very important. The policy was, was in place. They had to, you know, adhere to it. Uh, and, and guess what? The managers that they reported to, the field managers, I always say, they are the key to the whole thing. Right. If, if they're, you have to get them on board and let them understand that communication thing. They knew that their people weren't going to be out there until they got this all done. So they were on the drivers saying, hey, you need to get this, get this taken care of. Um, it, it, it's just it has to be part of the policy. Uh, you know, set that expectation. The best right start the to start, your story start that, that Cliff was talking about. It's the most natural step to your story is, hey, we, we, we get it going before we even let them operate the most dangerous tool we'll ever give them, which is a vehicle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Often, oftentimes, one of the, the main themes you hear from the plaintiffs in a lawsuit is the company put profits over safety, profits over safety. And if you can demonstrate, as you know, Phil just noted that it was safety first, safety before them doing any work, that they had to read the policy, take a test, do some training before they were ever giving keys, that undermines the, the profits before That's safety. That's an investment. I mean, it's quite an investment to do that training. First. And and you're, you're right, yeah. Cliff. I think that, you know, um, a couple of hour training, you have the testing or you're probably, you know, partnering with a company who provides this training and the testing and all the things. Um, that's a huge investment for a company to make, but I think one of the best things you'll ever do um, is anything proactive in your fleet, but certainly as it relates to safety. Yeah. Um, if you're listening to this podcast and you're developing a safety policy from scratch and you have nothing, it's important, and you're going to start doing some new hire training as part of your policy, it's important that you reset the clock and train all of your existing drivers as well. You know, don't forget them, um, hold them to the same policy, put them behind the wheel or that, that training that you develop, even if it's expensive. Um, but if you just mentioned, you know, um, um, a lawsuit that you're found guilty could be very expensive, right? Um, which is cheaper, um, maybe uh, uh, somebody that was injured or worse, um, or spending the money on, on keeping your drivers safe and the public safe. So um, any... Uh, Last thoughts on new hire training I would as part of your is, safety I think there's a, a best practice out there that there's something ongoing, right? There are a lot of things that drivers learn how to do, use a fuel, full fuel card, learn, learn how to use payment solutions, do all kinds of things. And, of course, all the things they have to do for their vocationary work. But I think the most critical thing is their safe driving practices. So it's kind of like if, if you're going to have them retrain on um, new vehicles they're going to work on, if they're a mechanic, or all the things that we do for continuing edu education for, for vocational workers, why on earth wouldn't we do some sort of annual policy review, quick quiz, um, and sign off on an annual basis? I mean, it could be an investment of 15 minutes, a half an hour per the associate. Um, I know it's an investment. It goes back to two things. 
One, everybody's reading off the same playbook on a consistent basis. Two, you're continuing to build this awesome safety story so that if you find yourself in a pinch, you can say, we do care because this is what we also do. We don't um, tell this, you don't have someone do this training day one and then 10 years later, they're like, what safety policy, right? It's got to be, you know, annual or, or, you know, maybe a couple of times a year. It's, I think it's critical to do the, the retraining, a quiz and a sign off on an, at least an annual basis. Aaron, you have just introduced Sorry. episode two of this podcast. <laughs> but no, very, very good points. We are going to talk in episode two, um, kind of as an intro to what's going to uh, happen there, is is what you do with drivers once they are drivers, right? You, you need to do their MBR. You need to at least do an annual MBR, biannual MBR. Um, but if there's annual, if there's different types of MBR, um, and it goes to court and you're questioned why you didn't do MBR monitoring that's available now, you could get challenged on that as well. Um, but don't just run MBRs, do the training. Um, Aaron, you said before it was a culture, we're developing a culture. Just giving somebody a new hire training once isn't culture. Culture is doing something over and over again, right? So, you know, it's we call it proactive training, right? Um, if you give somebody training after they've had an accident and award them points and call them medium risk, you're reactive. That's reactive training, right? So doing some proactive training before something happens can avoid that. And that's exactly what we do at my company, right? Um, we develop the safety of culture. We send out safety blasts. Um, fleet sends one week. Health and safety sends um, trips and falls and building safety the next week. And we rotate every other week. Um, uh, once a month, you have to take... Um, an online safety uh, module, right? 20 minutes long, takes you a few minutes, you have to get a score of at least 90 to pass, right? So it's ongoing and it's developing that safety, safety culture. They're constantly always aware and thinking of safety. So Aaron, thank you for introducing episode two. Um, we will have some people on to talk about that, but um, you're absolutely right on that point. Um, so listen, um, most of these episodes uh, that Phil and I do, we try and keep to 30 minutes. We had four people on this call. This is uh, uh, the safety policy series is going to be more than 30 minutes each. We have a lot to talk about, um, but we're at that point. Can we just go around real quick and anybody give some last thoughts sure, on what Cliff, you want to say before we, uh, before we end this? <laughs> How about Phil? Or Cliff? Sure. Sure. I, I would say from the, from the safety story uh, perspective, a couple of very important points. Uh, you want to put that story together outside the context of a lawsuit. There's deadlines in lawsuits. It's very difficult to put together a comprehensive story uh, in the middle of a lawsuit. Um, it is much better to take your time and craft that story, find the right people, find the right documents to support your story, to do that outside the context of litigation. You want that sitting on your shelf. And unfortunately, if you ever have to use it to be able to pull it down adjust it, tweak it based on what the case is about, but you want to have, you know, 80, 90% of that story ready to go. Um, and that's well thought out and it's complete. And when you put that story together, sometimes you find the soft spots. Um, it's better to do that ahead of time and know where your soft spots are and try to obviously try to fix them, um, but also know where they are. Um, and that uh, will be incredibly helpful uh, in the course of a lawsuit and, and just also going, you know, I know this is a multi-part series. 
it's really important for that story to address every single aspect of driver safety because the plaintiffs will make the case about whichever part is your weakest. Um, so it's really important to have that comprehensive story developed. Cliff, I really like the idea of the safety story. Um, I like it a lot. Um, and I, it would be nice if, if you would, um, and, and I can help arrange this, you know, even going to a NAFA INE. I know that we've talked about some chapters, but I think an INE would be really good going to a safety conference, um, the, the fleet safety conference that's coming up, or even at AFLA and just, you know, sitting around talking with people and kind of getting this idea out there. It's kind of new to me. Um, we do something similar, but it's not as concise as what you've talked about. And I really like the idea. It'd be cool if you could train that to other fleets. Um, you know, we'll talk about that. Happy to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to. Great. Thank Starting you. that here, Bob. We started that here. <laughs> we did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I kind of feel like our podcasts fill our uh, little INE sessions every week. So uh, I, I like it. So. <laughs> Along the same lines of, as Cliff was saying, I mean, proactivity is everything. Um, and we talked about some great topics today. I, I have enjoyed the conversation. And I would just like to say, hey, if there's anybody out there who, you know, is saying, gosh, I want to get started on this. I mean, we're all here as a resource. I'll offer myself as a resource to the fleet community to help out with, with building any sort of um, type of plan for your fleet. But of course, I have a passion for safety, so would love to help if if you, if anyone out there listening needs it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, great. Thank you, Aaron. That's awesome. I, I would do the same. I'm happy to share my policy. And if you can make a better <laughs> policy than me, please share it back with me. <laughs> Bill, what, um, what, have, what have you got? That's what's cool about this industry, right? Uh, and I've been involved in fleet stuff for going on decades, right? And the people are willing to share. They're yeah. willing to help each other. So I'll just offer that out there as well. You know, if, if any of us can uh, can assist you, it's so, so, so important. And, and Bob, we say almost every uh, episode, we hate crashes. And that's why we're doing this. I, I mean, <laughs> they ruin lives. And, and if you can put some policy in place and get a culture going and, and, and get your people home safe every night, it's worth all the effort. It is worth all the effort. Crashes cut a very, very wide swath. And and listen, yeah, it does come down to ORI, ROI. It does, you know, it has to make financial sense. But Aaron, you made the point earlier. Get to the human side of it. You know, it's it's you know, people need to go home safe every day. And if you have a good policy in place, you're enforcing it. I'll tell you, I had more people when I put policy in place that said, thank you, than said, what do yep. you mean I have to do this? People were appreciative of it because Absolutely. Care. So good points. care, get some good policy in place. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, everyone. Uh, with that, I think that we are going to end this podcast, uh, first series of this multi-series uh, safety policy podcast. So, um, just to plug our podcast for a little bit, you know, we do have a YouTube channel now. It's Fleet Safety Geeks. Please go out there, find it. This will be out there. Um, we are trying to figure out how to get the Spotify to do the video podcast. Um, we released it last week and nobody could get the video. Um, but um, I swear I followed all the steps to the T. They need to work on their steps. <laughs> but um, 
we'll, we'll get it out there. And of course, there will be an audio version on all the, the, the various platforms as well. So again, thank you to our very special guest, um, Aaron Gilchrist Rugg, Cliff Mendelson. Thank you so much for being on. Phil, thank Cliff, you for everything you, you contribute. So I appreciate that. Um, with that, have a great week, everybody. And be sure to check thank in you. next week for the second episode in this series.